Lovely. Well, uh, it is great to be able to come up here to St George. Uh, I don't do it very often. Uh, well, especially to church here. It's just much easier to stay in Deeran. Stay away from everyone here, you'll think. So. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but today we're, we're more or less uh, kicking off into uh, a new sermon series, I guess, uh, going through the letter of Philippians. Um, we've been, I don't know what's been going on with Bible studies and stuff up here, but down in Deerin Bandy, we've been going through uh, Philippians and we've just just about finished it, I think. Um, so it's cool to be able to start off the uh, sermons with this. It's, it's an awesome letter and, and Paul is really encouraging and Paul is really encouraged by the church in Philippi, which is awesome. Um, but I want to give some background and context for us to be able to understand in the weeks to come uh, as we go through your you hear Philippians a lot, but like, you know, Philippi was a place and there was a lot going on there. Um, so it's, it's cool, just some of the background of it. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. Now that's really, that's quite significant uh, considering what happens to Paul and Silas there. Uh, that's really important to remember. Uh, it, is, it is speculated or said at the time of this letter, Paul was actually in prison once again. So... Uh, it's kind of Paul's favourite place to be, I reckon. It's where he gets a lot of thinking done, I imagine. So, uh, But despite the fact that he's writing this from prison and despite what happens in Philippi, which we're going to explore a little bit, there is a, a massive overarching theme of joy and rejoicing in the, in the, in the letter to the Philippians. It's actually, it is really encouraging because Paul, of all people, you would think would have a reason to complain based on what happens to him, but uh, we'll get into that. So if you want to follow along, uh, we're in Acts 16 at the moment. We are going to get to our passage soon, but Acts 16 is, is actually the beginning of Paul and Silas's uh, ministry at Philippi. Um, so I'm just going to list off some of the more uh, significant things that happened. So in Philippi, it's actually where they met Lydia. Uh, if you don't know who Lydia is, that's all right. Um, but she became a pretty prominent figure in the ministry of the gospel in this area around Philippi, especially around the time that Paul and Silas were around there. Um, she was a God-fearing woman and came to them and she ended up... It's one of the few occasions where a, it's actually pointed out that a woman came to faith and then her whole household was baptised. So it was Lydia who was in a group of women outside the city and heard Paul and Silas talking to these women and she asked to be baptised and then baptised her whole household. So that's uh, for me that was quite an interesting point. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, now Paul and Silas were thrown in prison while they were in Philippi. Surprise, surprise. Why was that? Because they actually upset some corrupt slave owners. There was a slave girl in Philippi who actually had a spirit of divination, it says, or a demon, uh, who could tell, like, who could fortune tell, pretty much. Uh, so, like, kind of dark arts practice type stuff. And the slave owners were capitalising on this, getting a bit of moolah in the pocket. But um, this demon followed uh, Paul and Silas around for at least a few days, chanting the same thing, these guys serve the most high God, they serve the most high God, these guys serve the most high God. And it actually says that Paul got annoyed. It was frustrating. Oh, Paul was so frustrated that he just said, no, that's it, be gone out of this woman. And within the hour, the demon was expelled from this woman's body. But the slave owners were not very happy about that, so they dragged Paul and Silas in front of the marketplace in public. 
and said, these guys are causing too much trouble here in Philippi. Uh, they're causing too much trouble. They're, they're stirring up too many people. Then uh, the magistrates or the rulers at the time tore the robes off of Paul and Silas and beat them with rods publicly in the town square, more or less. Uh, and then they were thrown into prison and shackled by the ankles, it says. Now, for me, when I read that, I was like, goodness me, that'd be enough to slow your ministry down. Like, you know, you're getting smashed over the head and people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to believe in Jesus. Like, I'm going to get beaten and thrown in jail. But it didn't actually stop. The Holy Spirit, as we see all throughout the Bible, can use whatever situation we're in for good. And here is no exception because uh, we see that the Philippian jailer was actually converted. Uh, and... What did he start doing? He didn't just sort of leave them in jail to, you know, lick their own wounds. He actually cleaned their wounds for them. He was converted and he started looking after Paul and Silas. That's an incredible transformation. And then this guy got his entire household baptised. That's insane. (laughs) It just keeps coming. Um, Now, the magistrates, this is the most interesting part for me. The magistrates then tried to have Paul and Silas released, kind of on the down low. They had the police, more or less, well, the passage says they had the police come in and the jailer came up to Paul and Silas and said, hey, uh, you're free to go. And Paul went, I don't think so. These guys had us, the magistrates, had us publicly beaten. Paul and Silas, Roman citizens. And if you've come to understand throughout the Bible, uh, that's actually a really important thing when it comes to trials and whatnot. Paul and Silas didn't get a fair trial. They were brought towards the townspeople beaten straight away without question and then thrown in jail so paul and silas were like no thank you you come down here and you let us out yourselves if you're willing to beat us over the head for no reason we're roman citizens here you've done the wrong thing and uh the magistrates actually became extremely afraid at that point and they came down and they apologized to paul and silas escorted them out of the city and said don't come back and then before they left they caught up with lydia once again it says they prayed with the brothers And then they departed from Philippi. And that's where we lead into this sort of letter. That's everything that sort of, well, that we can hear about what happened with Paul and Silas uh, (laughs) in Philippi. And that's where this letter is kind of being written from to the church. So we'll go in verse 1 and 2. We're kind of leading into a bit of a greeting. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Overseers are... Pretty much bishops, that's, that's our modern day understanding of an overseer. <laughs> Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's greeting here, this, you're going to hear this uh, stuff quite a bit, but Paul's greeting here to the Philippians is very deep and meaningful. Like, he actually has a real heart for these people and he is not shying away for that, from, uh, from that at all. The whole introduction to this letter is just Paul confessing how much he loves the church in Philippi and how much he loves the people there. Um, But it is important to point out, this is why I love, you can't contradict it, the the scriptures are God-breathed. Because the way that Paul refers to them as saints in Christ, that's such an important thing. Because if he just referred to them as saints, as just a worldly title, it would mean that these guys would have achieved righteousness and holiness by their own means. They'd be saints by their own right. But the people in Philippi, they're not born saints. Paul makes the important difference there, the differentiation between you are saints in Christ and you are just saints. They're in Christ. That is where their righteousness comes from. That is where their holiness comes from. 
They're saints solely through the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the encouragement. Each of us here today, we're actually saints in Christ. Our righteousness and our holiness is not our own. It's an awesome thing. It's actually incredibly encouraging because we have a saviour who did that for us. It's awesome. And we'll keep unpacking that as we go, but it's just we're going to hear a lot about it. Uh, Verses 3 and 5, we move into a time of thanksgiving from Paul. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, I, I, uh, was, I was kind of dumbfounded. You go through this and you can't really, like, I couldn't imagine thanking God every time you remembered someone. Now, I have one of you can see there, I have a wonderful wife and kids. But to be reminded of like, this immense thankfulness and gratefulness, like, I admit my sinful nature gets in the way. I'm not always thankful and overjoyed. And that's embarrassing to say that. But it's just true. But Paul, that's not a light statement. I thank God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. For you all making my prayer with joy. He's so moved by these Philippians. It's insane. It's crazy. And it did beg the question for me which gets answered as you continue to read. But what was so significant about the ministry of the Philippians? Why was, why was their ministry so significant? Well, Paul answers this for us. It's because of their partnership in the gospel. It wasn't because of any great deed they'd done, any kind of great action they themselves could fulfill. It's their partnership in the gospel. Now, this doesn't, it's, it's not just a light statement. It doesn't just mean they believe in the gospel. Okay, because any of us can believe in Christ and believe in the message of Christ. But the Philippians are doing something very different. A partnership, you imagine a partnership in a business, everyone's involved. Everyone's doing something. There is not one person who's sitting on their bum doing nothing. When you're in partnership with someone, everyone's busy. And Paul is grateful the Philippians for their grateful for the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel. If they just believed in the gospel, they'd more or less just be keeping Christ to themselves. Instead, they're actually sharing the hope that they received through Christ and through the ministry of Paul. As we go on to verse 6 and 8, Paul just continues on. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, if you're like me, I'm, I'm quite cynical at times, but uh, <laughs> I asked the question, I was like, what is a good work? Like, really, what's, what's the good work that's going on in our lives? Like... Is, is there much going on at all sometimes? It kind of feels like it's all a bit stagnant sometimes. But I was reading a commentary, which most of us in Durham Bandy sort of, sort of picked at. It's by Jeffrey Bingham going through Philippians. He states, this good work, it is the completion of their spiritual growth, resurrection and glorification, which will all come on the day of Christ. 
This is further supported later, as we'll get to in chapter 2 eventually, with Paul's focus on perfection and resurrection. Now, this is what he truly desires for the Philippians, this understanding. Uh, it's, it's important for us to point out from verse 6, and this is where my, this is where my cynical nature came in. It's like, what's, what's going on, this good work? But the encouragement, it's actually really incredibly encouraging in verse 6 that we're not alone in our battles. Paul writes, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Some days, I know for myself, and we as Christians can feel like God is just not there at all. There's a lot of stuff going on in our lives, a lot of stuff going on in the world, and we really start to struggle with that. And sometimes we can even feel like God doesn't see us. Like he doesn't see our struggles, like he doesn't see what we go through every day. But what this verse suggests is that God's always working. Always. Non-stop. And he will bring his good work to completion in us on the day of Christ's return. And as I just read, that, that work that we are talking about is the work... Well, the completion of our spiritual growth, the resurrection and glorification, which will come in the day of Christ. All of which, if we go through the Bible, we can see those promises being made, not just by Christ, but Paul's writings as well. (laughs) We see in verse 7 that Paul's love for the Philippians, as I said from the start, this is going to be a recurring theme as well. His love for the Philippians is extremely deep. As he states, I hold you in my heart. Again, we can ask why. For they partake of the ministry that Paul is spreading, the ministry of the gospel. They stand to defend and confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it is really important to unpack both these, both these terms, both defending and confirming. Confirming, for all of us here, confirming the gospel of Jesus Christ is really easy. I'm not trying to say that naively. If that's even a word, I think it is. <laughs> but confirming it is someone coming up to you, asking questions about Christ, and you're going, yes, Jesus is real. Let me explain to you, Jesus is real. And this is a person who's soft. That's who you confirm the gospel with. But the defense of the gospel, that's a lot more difficult. That's opposition. You're facing someone who's completely on the offense towards the gospel. Paul's encouragement with the Philippians is that they are not shying away. This partnership is true. They are really on fire for the gospel. They want to defend the gospel with everything they've got and confirm it with every single person they come across. That's a full-on ministry. For me, I can say I don't get it. I don't get an opportunity often to defend the gospel. I don't face a lot of opposition as such. Usually people just shut down. But you don't think about how confronting it would be to have someone come on the offence towards you and attack your faith, attack Christ, and to be in a situation where you are calling on God to help you defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's Paul's encouragement. I can imagine for Paul it was incredibly encouraging. Like we see, and it's not to pick on the church of Corinth, but uh, not that I know a whole great deal of all the ins and outs of what was going on in the church there, but it was a bit of a messy situation. There's a lot of different stuff going on. A lot of different things, rather, sorry. 
But Paul, seeing how messy some of these other churches are, and as he's writing letters back going, oh, come on, stay steadfast in the gospel, come back to Christ, come back to that foundational understanding of Jesus, don't run away from it. What Paul is seeing here in Philippi is people who are grabbing the gospel and running headlong into that ministry. That is incredible, and it's it's super encouraging. And I can imagine for Paul, who's in prison, where it seems like a pretty hopeless situation, it's pretty awesome. It would be a real glimmer of hope in a, in a pretty dark time. And Paul goes on, and just with the encouragement and with the lifting up to God, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, it's awesome that Paul finishes this introduction. He goes straight into a prayer. He's gone straight in. He's talking about, I'm so grateful for you guys. I'm so grateful. And here's my prayer for you. Uh, for, for me, it reminded me of Matthew 25 uh, with the parable of the ten virgins. It's sort of like a prayer of readiness is how I took it. Um, because Paul is saying, I pray that you'll abound in love more and more and more with knowledge and discernment. So with knowing and being able to discern the truth and the falsities. But also so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's, be ready. I pray that you will be ready and prepared for the return of Christ. That your love will be unending. But yeah, he's praying in preparation for the return of Christ so the Philippians will be ready on the day of Christ's return knowing full well where their hope lies. And the incredible thing is that Paul prays not that they will be pure and blameless and filled with the fruits of righteousness for themselves, but who for? The glory and the praise of God. Now, we're going to see a constant recurring theme as well. There are a lot of themes going on here in this, in this letter. But you will see a lot of recurring terminology such as in Jesus Christ, praise and honour to God, glory be to God. And that is all throughout this letter. There is probably not a chapter that misses it because everything that Paul is pointing out here is saying this is yours in Christ to the glory of God. Yours in Christ to the glory of God. It is a constant recurring thing. And it's awesome. The repetition is really encouraging because it helps to remind us as we're reading it, hey, everything we've got is in Christ, to the glory of God, not to the glory of man. <coughs> uh, as I was looking through this passage yesterday, um, there's actually a footnote that points us towards John 15, 4-5. And this is sort of pointed out with the filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So that part of the passage there is kind of what points us towards this. This is Jesus. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now for us as Christians, followers of Christ, For me, as I read that, I went right there. That's what we believe. Right there. Could almost be a statement for us to bring to other people. We believe that Christ is the vine. 
We are simply the branches that come out from him. He is the life source, the giver of life to each and every single one of us. If we abide in him, okay, he teaches us everything that we are. He shows us everything that we are and everything we have comes through him. If we abide in him, we have all that we need for our lives. Um, now, this is a pretty pretty out there analogy, but I'm going to use it again because for me, it actually really helped paint the image of just the disgust, the difference between being in Christ and sort of the yuckiness of the world. So uh, for me, you think oxygen is something when we're born, we breathe in oxygen. We need oxygen every single day of our lives, otherwise we die. We need that. We see God give Adam the breath of life in Genesis. That same breath of life is in each and every single one of us. Every single day we're going around, we're, we're breathing, we're, we're going through life. But for me, the opposite, it's like sucking on a muffler. It's a pretty weird image, I know. But it's disgusting, makes you crook and will eventually lead to death. For us as Christians, it is crucial. Well, people in general, non-Christians alike, we need to understand how crucial it is that we need Christ every day. We actually can't go a day without Christ. Sin kills us. When we choose to go without Christ, it is like we are choosing to no longer breathe. We are choosing the world, in which case, in this kind of picture, is nothing but a dirty old sooty tailpipe that's going to make you crook, is going to ruin your life, and it's going to tear you away from God. For me, it was, it was a weird way to understand, I'm sorry, but yeah, bear with me in that. But for me, that was as drastic as I had to go in my own head. To live in Christ is to live breathing fresh air with hope and peace and joy every single day of our lives. That's what Paul's experiencing here. He is seeing the fruits of Christ come to a head in the people at Philippi and it has brought such a joy and such a life to Paul in a situation where we would otherwise be hopeless. (laughs) We can share in this joy. We too have the exact same God and believe in the exact same Lord Jesus Christ that Paul is talking about here. He loves us deeply and will one day return to bring about the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. And the awesome thing is, at that point, all of this is going to fade away. Nothing here on this earth will matter any longer because Christ will have returned and will be with him. And that's incredibly encouraging. So for us as Christians today, you want to know what we can do in ministry? Be partners in the gospel. Look to the people around you here. Every single one of us here, I imagine, believes in Christ, wants to see Christ sent out and preached, wants their families to know Christ. That partnership in the gospel is is crucial. We can't go through this alone. Paul never was. Even in jail, he was writing to people. 
sharing the gospel in any possible situation. It's not going to be easy though, which is why it's awesome that we're saints in Christ. Hey, We have the wonderful power of Christ Jesus on our side. So we don't have to rely on our own strength, our own words. All we need to do is trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Seek him every day. Seek the word of God every day. And the Holy Spirit will work in us in such a way where you won't need to rely on your own strength because you'll have him. Let's pray. Father, it's incredibly grateful for your mercy towards us in the fact that Jesus Christ died. (coughs) He rose again and ascended to your right hand to serve as our mediator, Lord, that we could be in right relationship with you. We are incredibly grateful for the love in which Christ has shown us that it serves as a perfect example to us as Christians today in a way to love each other, in a way to teach our kids how to love each other. Lord, I pray every single day for the people here and anyone that may be listening. Lord, that we will just be reminded of the grace and mercy that you've shown towards us. That you'll bring such a joy into our hearts through that. That that joy will lead to just such a love for the gospel that we will want to be able to share it with anyone and everyone that we possibly can, Lord. But I pray that will be through the power of your spirit, Lord, and not by any human means. We are grateful that your spirit is with us every day, Lord. I pray you will help to remind us. Remind us of the love and the peace and the joy that comes in knowing Christ, the true life giver. We are so grateful, Lord. And we want to give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.